Welcome to The Faithful Music Master, Musings of a Forever Musician Learner. This is Opening Up the Bible, Episode 2, the second Sunday after Pentecost. Hello there. It's nice to be able to speak with you again. It's been quite a while and it's been um, fairly eventful, I guess, uh, past several uh, months since the last episode that I've uploaded. I have a few different ideas kind of to go forward, so um, hopefully I'll be able to make these podcasts a little bit more frequently. And of course, I have uh, several different uh, things that I've done um, beforehand as well. Um, I don't know if you've followed along with the um, Adelante Dia Dia um, recordings that I did. Of course, those were the Spanish versions of the English ones, which are um, on a different uh, podcast network. But anyways, it's nice to be back, especially right at the beginning of Pride Month. Um, that's an exciting time, and I hope that this is um, a better Pride Month than last year, at least, uh, since we're slowly starting to um, open back up. I have many mixed feelings about this whole experience, but here we are, and um, I think I'll just be able to feel better about it as it kind of goes along. Also, I have my green tea right here. I'm drinking some uh, jasmine green tea. It's been one of my favorite teas to drink. Um, especially in the evenings. It's uh, warming and it's it's a very floral flavor and I enjoy it a lot and I think that it just, um, it feels very calming um, to drink. The lectionary has us reading the Gospel of Mark uh, throughout this green season. And with that being said, I'll go ahead and read the gospel, of which is going to be for this Sunday, the second Sunday after Pentecost. So this is Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. And I'm actually going to add the last part of verse 19, um, just because the NRSV translation actually puts it in the same paragraph. So I thought it would be kind of important, um, and I'll explain more about that in a little bit. So... Here it is again, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Then Jesus went home. The crowd came together again, so that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and, other, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. 
Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So there are several things to unpack and things that I wanted to say about this passage. So I'm going to try to go in order. Um, I kept on toying with different ideas and I was just like, you know what? In order not to worry too much about having like a big structure or something like that for um, today, I just wanted to go ahead and just just go in the order that things are presented in. Uh, for the most part, at least, I think I might kind of veer away. So according to this timeline in the Gospel of Mark, this passage happens towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He had gone into the surrounding villages, healing, preaching, and disrupting. He began by shaking things up, standing up for the marginalized, rather than those who tried to claim authority or priority just because of their lineage, their family's history of political favors, or even their language. And this is a really important thing to consider, that there are so many factors going on in the gospel, and just in general, there, there are all these really tiny phrases and little words here and there that kind of signal and clue, uh, cue about different um, things that are happening, you know, between different people's families. People are marginalized not just because of, you know, their socioeconomic um, position, but also because of things like their lineage or um, their language even, or um, for lack of a better word, even their, you know, their race or their ethnicity, um, people coming from different regions and having different traditions that they're coming with. And so, as a result, Jesus' actions were shocking to the elite. You know, as we see, there are scholars that come down from Jerusalem, um, basically to kind of correct Jesus after having um, probably heard about uh, several things that Jesus had already been doing. And by reaching out and preaching and healing the marginalized, uh, Jesus was catching the attention of the scholars and the authorities of the time who wanted to silence him and because they wanted to stop him. They brought forward many arguments and they continued to do this throughout Jesus' ministry, you know, even up to when he's on the cross, you know, uh, even when Jesus is like literally breathing his last breaths on the cross, there are still people challenging him um, in all sorts of ways, which is, it's just crazy to see how basically it's, it's a lot of nagging. I can't imagine having that sort of like, uh, th that nagging and people just following you around just to challenge you the entire way. Um, I guess that can be kind of an example of, you know, having criticisms, like if you're and basically anything that you do, a lot of times you can have, you know, there's like naysayers who say, oh, well, you can't perform that well, or oh, you can't do your job, or you can't write that book, or you can't, um, you know, win this award, or something like that. Like, they always just want to bring in that negativity. And I guess in the gospel, um, it seems really, uh, really harsh, almost, because we actually get these arguments and these back and forths between Jesus and these um, authorities. Um, and of course, we'll be seeing more and more of that as we read further into the Gospel of Mark. This is but the beginning. Now, the weird thing is that the authorities were disturbed. 
And my question is, why? If we remember the great society set up in the Torah, and mind you, I don't want to get too bogged down in all the specifics in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, um, the Pentateuch, depending on your choice of words. Um, you know, you don't want to get too bogged down in that because uh, there's a lot there as well. But basically, I want to bring this up, though. If we think about that great society set up in the Torah, these commandments... Um, which scholars, you know, Jewish scholars had actually numbered them. Um, they actually set a very specific number. There's a tradition, and I forgot the specific number. It's in the 600s, saying that there, that's how many commandments there are in the Torah. So the scholars had memorized and numbered these commandments. These words are ones that also, you know, that caused King David to dance with all his might just in the presence of the, of the, of the Torah, of the law. These are words that also were described as a beautiful woman um, and we have lots of Jewish poetry um, that also falls into really um, you know very sensual poetry and very love-based poetry as well um, and it was so important to Jewish tradition that they kept on copying this they kept on um, promulgating this until it became part of the Hebrew Bible and as a result um, in Christianity we also have adopted that to be part of our Bible as well so you know, in, in those commandments, we see that God has commanded the Israelites to love above all else. So again, you know, 600 odd commandments and God commands to love above all else. And basically through those commandments, there are lots of ways of establishing these sorts of societal relationships between people. And so... What are some of the ways that this love can be interpreted? Well, in the Torah, as if you really read, um, you don't even need to read like with a really, you know, really discerning eye or um, really closely or something like that. You, you just, they're just plain, they're just out there. Um, there are provisions for the poor, um, for the persecuted, for the sick and for the marginalized. I mean, like there's a lot of support that's already being commanded, you know, leave the crops on the outsides of your fields. So that way the strangers, the, you know, the, the, the people, the foreigners among you can actually go pick them up, um, you know, donate for these different causes and stuff like that. These are all things that are commanded in the Torah. And so we have the beginnings of a welfare state for the marginalized. And if we think about like the Levites and there's other people as well that are called not to grow their own crops and not to um, to do very physical things, but to engage with the spiritual, with the creative and with the sacred and the mystical. Um, they already have a support system set up for them to be able to carry out those very important jobs and roles for their society. And so as a result, we already have this idea of community, this economy, the sustaining that goes on that God commands through um, through these commandments. Basically, these are the things that make up the foundation of what the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these um, people who are scribes, their authorities, their um, you know, the, the Greek word almost sounds like they're grammarians almost, even though that's not the right word, but they're, they're scholars, basically. They know that this is what God has commanded. And yet they didn't have a reason to be afraid when Jesus was preaching that, um, you know, again, preaching and reaching out to the people that are on the margins. Um, but they were threatened because they knew that them, their 
um, scholarly positions, their authoritative positions were being challenged and threatened by Jesus, breaking down the walls that they had spent generations of time and wealth to build up and to ostracize people and to really knock people off to the margins. So this threat was that Jesus preached about a movement from the perspective of those who are not in positions of power. In this passage, he also explains how these people on the margins could unite and become a powerful force to subdue a strong man, or a prince, or a king, or, or Satan even, for by having people unite around healing, around community, around love, Jesus reminded everybody that it was possible to succeed in plundering, dare I even say looting, the livelihood that the different Satans, the different accusers, were hoarding up from those in need. And so the leaders accused Jesus of having an unclean spirit. So let's remember, God commanded there to be love, there to, there for, uh, for there to be community, for there to be support, for there to be um, generosity, all of these sorts of things. This is something that was commanded straight uh, from God. And then these experts are all of a sudden threatened when Jesus is reminding them about that responsibility that they have to those who are marginalized. And so they say that Jesus has an unclean spirit because Jesus is doing what God had commanded. It's really messed up. I believe that's why Jesus says that it's an unforgivable sin to um, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. In this case, the spirit of love, of community, of salvation, of support. Now, as I had added already, um, when I read the gospel reading, um, you know, I added the part that says, then Jesus went home, which I think is really important because that kind of summarizes or, or it contextualizes all of this stuff that's happening at the same time is happening when Jesus is at home. He's not abroad. He's at home. And so not only was Jesus being challenged and called names at home, but he was also being approached by his family. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds about interpreting what is meant by mother and brothers, um, because, you know, people have different theories about, oh, it's a figurative thing. Oh, it's the Greeks say this, blah, blah, blah. It's just, I don't, I don't have the expertise to say one thing or another about that. Um, but I wanted to point in a different direction about that, though, um, because this passage ties in quite nicely with the beginning of Pride Month. It's such an important value that we have in our LGBTQ plus community. And one thing that I really do enjoy that people are starting to kind of share a little bit more is that there are lessons that can be learned from the LGBTQ plus community. There are still things that I have learned in my community um, that have really helped me as a person and really understand my function in life almost or um, different ways to kind of, you know, carry myself in life. And I think one of the really important things that our community, the LGBTQ plus community, the queer community teaches is that family does not have to be biological. And this 
this message, this idea comes from the fact that so many queer people are disowned by their parents, they're thrown out of their homes, and they're ostracized by their communities. And I find that it's even worse, um, especially with queer people of color, because they're usually ostracized from a marginalized community already. And so, um, as uh, Dr. Patrick Chang has, has said, um, basically, a lot of queer people of color especially exist kind of um, in an in-between kind of space uh, because of the fact that they're ostracized not only from their families but also from their communities of of color and honestly they're you know we're also um, ostracized oftentimes from the Christian community um, I myself have received a lot of hate mail just because of my um, meditations that I wrote as part of the forward day by day um, so it's you know it, it's just something that that keeps on going you know it's not something that was ancient it's something that that keeps on going that this, this discrimination and this hate still exists and so because of the fact that queer people are often ostracized um, they end up building or we all end up building up our own families selecting members that we keep close by in some instances, queer people will even assign the family roles of parents and siblings to their new families. Oftentimes, the unifying factor in a new family is love. And that's the only requirement, basically, is to have a love of each person's identity, a love of each person's being. And that's what defines, again, that's what defines the queer family, basically. And I don't mean like, you know, the entire community of queer people. I'm talking about like um, people selecting their own families. The only thing that really matters is love. That's there. That's the main um, requirement, if you want to say. It doesn't have to be, you know, a bloodline. It doesn't have to be biological relations or anything like that. It's just the love that is there that makes a family. And so in the gospel, this passage comes after Jesus selects some of his family. He called 12 students who would do more than just learn. They would talk to Jesus. They would witness Jesus's most intimate moments. They would sleep in the same spaces, sometimes the same boat. They would eat the same food. They were a family. And there were many others besides our multiple lists, because don't forget the um, the lists of 12 disciples, there are lots of discrepancies about names and stuff like that. So there's a lot more than just those 12. Um, you know, there are many people that are written about in the Bible. And then there's traditions that also talk about other people who were close by with Jesus. And I'm sure there are many more that weren't even written down or remembered at all that were there with Jesus. But... Just as in this gospel passage, Jesus said the reason why they're all part of his family is simple. They were doing the will of God. And what is the will of God? Love. Again, just like the commandments um, and the, again, like the, the community and, and everything, basically. And as Jesus summarizes later on in the gospel as well. You know, we talk about love God and to love others and to love oneself. This entire community of love, this entire um, existence of love uh, between these different relations is so foundational. And that's the building block, the building force for 
family, according to Jesus. It doesn't have to be biological, it's just that. And during Pride, we celebrate love in all of its diverse ways. We recognize that people today have different approaches to defining love, be it the love of God, love of self, or love of neighbor. And so, as just kind of a little summary, I guess, I hope that we can continue to understand the importance of community and family through our examples today. Communities of marginalized people around the world continue to join forces to plunder those strongholds of oppression, to break down walls, and to bring about justice. Within these communities, there is a love for one another, and this love is the same love that Jesus taught. These communities also strive to grow in a common goal, in a common belief that love is truly the way forward. And so I want to end, just like I did before, this podcast with a song. And the song that I want to share this time is called Amarte Solo a Ti, Señor. Um, literally, it says, to love only you, Lord. And this song has simple lyrics, um, even though it's actually very difficult to translate. I geek out about this specific song because in Spanish, the song is only infinitive verbs. Um, none of them are actually conjugated, whereas in English, that would be a big no-no. That's grammatically incorrect in quotation marks um, in English. So my translation that I've done, I added the verbs in just to make it a little bit easier to follow. But here are the, the words, and they repeat a lot, so I'm just going to say them once through. But in Spanish, Amarte solo a ti, Señor, y no mirar atrás. Seguir tu caminar, seguir sin desmayar. Seguir hasta el final, Señor, y no mirar atrás. Confiar tan solo en ti, Señor, y no mirar atrás. And so the translation, we'll love only you, O Lord, and not look back. We'll follow in your footsteps, Lord. We'll follow without fainting. We'll follow to the end, O Lord, and not look back. We'll trust in only you, O Lord, and not look back. And again, for me, this song really speaks about, you know, basically what what is the requirement, basically, to become family with Jesus and the basic thing again is about love and this following the way that we would follow Jesus is the way that we can continue on this way of love. Señor, seguir hasta el final, Señor. 
seguir sin desmayar, Señor. Seguir hasta el final, Señor. Y no mirar atrás. Amarte solo a ti, Señor. Amarte solo a ti. solo a ti, Señor, y no mirar atrás, seguir tu caminar, Señor, seguir sin desmayar, Señor, seguir hasta el final, Señor, y no mirar hasta el final, Señor, y no mirar atrás. Confiar tan solo en ti, Señor, confiar tan solo en ti, Señor, confiar tan solo en ti, Señor, y no mirar atrás. hasta el final, Señor, y no mirar atrás, seguir tu caminar, Señor, seguir sin desmayar, Señor, seguir hasta el final, Señor, y no mirar atrás, y no Thank you so much for joining and listening to me. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Also, feel free to reach out to me via Instagram or Twitter. I'll keep links in the show description. And um, please check that description for um, any other links and notes and kind of stuff that I've talked about. And I hope to see you next time. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.